0: Well, good morning. Please open your Bibles to John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. We begin this Holy Week as a reminder that we mark time as Christians not by the calendars of this present world. We mark time not by the sports. We mark time not by the political calendars. We mark time not by our work schedules, but we mark time by the calendar of the church, the church's calendar that redirects us in these seasons like this to where to be looking, to where to be resting in. And I want to encourage you that as we walk through Holy Week this week, and Monday Thursday comes, and then Good Friday comes, and then some, what I'll call somber Saturday, and then Easter comes. Make it intentional for you and your family. Don't just rush ahead and all the other things that are coming your way, every which direction. Stop and allow the church, the ancient church, to dictate how you think through this week and in the patterns of what God wants you to, to walk through as we think about what happens here through this week. So would you please stand with me as we mark time by beginning with Palm Sunday and John chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it. Just as it is written, fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Then down to verse 20. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let's pray. Father, Speak to us now through these holy scriptures. Fill us with the presence of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit. And help us to see these old things with new eyes and hear with new ears. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray these things. Amen. may be seated. So in this scene, this opening scene of Palm Sunday, you see that the crowd was a buzz, loud, raucous in some sense. Jesus left Bethany, which was just a, a few miles to the east of Jerusalem. If you can imagine a map, just to the east of Jerusalem, there's Bethany. he he leaves and he begins this kind of arduous climb up a steep path to get to the top of the mountain that overlooked Jerusalem from the east, the Mount of Olives. Some of you have been there and remember this. The paths to Jerusalem are not easy, are they? Rocky and and dusty. You could imagine the the donkey that, that carried Jesus uh, you can imagine this donkey just kind of slipping and, and trying to put its feet down on the road and without stumbling. And then when Jesus uh, comes to the top, he, he looks out. What does he see? He looks out and he sees the multitudes streaming down the hill of the Mount of Olives. And they're all crammed together, coming to Jerusalem, sandwiched together, thousands upon thousands just flowing down this hill and then slowly going up to the temple area. Even as he's standing there, he could probably see just the, the glint of the gold from the temple just kind of blinding everybody who's coming down this mountain. And then Jesus, Jesus begins to descend down. But something peculiar happens at this moment that we need to pay attention to. This this feast called the Passover celebrates the kingship of God. It celebrates Israel's uh, God coming as king to rescue his people from bondage in Egypt it celebrates Israel's God taking the people through the Red Sea, the victory over Pharaoh's armies and the victory over the sea waters. And it celebrated the, the promise that was held up by the prophets that God would once again rescue his people and be their God, and they, God's people. So it, it wasn't unusual. To hear people singing songs of the kingship of God on the way to this feast. As the multitudes are going, they're just singing and shouting. See, they had suffered under devastating oppression and injustice. Few had much property or or belongings of their own. Few had any rights at all. And the people were they were eager. They're marching down this road. They were eager for God to return as king and to make things right again, to do away with the oppression, to do away with their weariness, to do away with their sin that kept them from seeing the kingship of God and experiencing it. So they they kind of mournfully sang with, with hope for a better day. But as, as Jesus descended and, and the songs were sung, the crowd suddenly turned their songs toward him. They turned him toward him. You need to kind of feel how shocking this is in this moment. And they say, Hosanna. They're looking at him. Hosanna. Blessed is the one coming in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. By, by referring to Psalm 13, uh, one eighteen and uh, zechariah nine nine John here underlines that the that the crowds they, they see Jesus coming down the mountain as a sign that God Yahweh was returning to become king they they identify kind of all their hopes about God with Jesus the Nazarene there's There's so much hope in this moment, so much expectation on the mountainside. You can nearly just feel it in the air, the buzz. And this spelled hope to their weary hearts. Spelled hope that God was on the move. And that means hope for us too this morning. Like the crowds, we're waiting for God to do something. Many of us feel the anguish of the crowds. We, we too long for God's kingship to kind of break forth in our various circumstances. We see oppression and injustice around us and sin. We are a people tired and wary of, of both the, the evil that, that we see outside of us and the evil that is inside of us. Back in John 12, uh, right after this scene, John then gives kind of a a parenthetical aside in verses 16 to 19, which I'm skipping over today, but he quickly returns to the story in verse 20 and sketches out this, this really unusual dialogue that happens on this road coming down. Look at verse 20 through 22. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now, Greeks here is probably just a kind of a, a synonym for Gentiles. This is not referring to actual people from Greece, uh, but probably God-fearing foreigners who lived up kind of northeast of Jerusalem. So there were Greeks coming to this. So verse 21, so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida and Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. These Greeks, they want to see Jesus. This is, this is explosive language in the story of John's gospel. Just think back a couple chapters to John chapter 9. There John records this dramatic story of a man who's born blind and how Jesus engages with him and heals him. And then there's this whole debate about why was he blind and how is it that he now sees? And then Jesus learns that that the Pharisees basically throw him out of the community and Jesus goes to talk to him. And pick it up in verse 35 of chapter 9. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He, that is, this was the blind man who now sees, he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Then Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The Greeks want to see Jesus in John chapter 12. They want to see Jesus. Do you? Philip, you know, scrambles over to Andrew and and tells him, and and then together they scramble over to Jesus and tell him. And and what I expect for Jesus to answer is I I expect him to kind of just turn around and say, yes, I'd love to meet them. (laughs) But he doesn't. Jesus' response points to, to a different direction. Look at verse 23. And Jesus answered them, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, you could just imagine the disciples. They come and say, hey, the, the Greeks want to meet you. And he turns around, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And they're just kind of like, oh, no, here we go again. <laughs> this is a significant turning point in the, in the tension in the narrative of the biblical story in John. At the beginning of the gospel, in John chapter 2, Jesus and his mother goes to a wedding, right, at, in Cana. And what happens? The wine the runs out, and his mother then comes to him and seems to kind of expect that he's going to do something about this. But Jesus responds how? He says, my hour has not yet come. Then as the book progresses, two times people come and and they want to arrest Jesus in chapter 7 and chapter 8. But John says, as kind of a narrative aside, he says that the hour of Jesus had not yet come. And so they couldn't arrest him. But now in chapter 12, now it does how it does here in the in the march down the mount of olives and up to the temple mount Jesus suddenly declares the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified what what is this hour it's his hour to be to be glorified Jesus is again inserting his, his own story into the middle of the Passover story, into the middle of the Exodus story. It's, it's not an accident that Jesus uses this, this very same language to clear what he's about. The language of to glorify first appears in the Old Testament in the most significant place, and that's in Exodus chapter 15. Just after God rescues his people and takes them out of Egypt, Moses turns in chapter 15 and sings a song, the great song of Moses. And he sings about how God rescues his people and is glorified. That is, he says, he becomes king. To be glorified in the Old Testament is to become king, King Yahweh. And the very language of glorified immediately triggers for the listeners this great act of God becoming king in the Exodus. This was language that was already in use at the time of Jesus and other Jewish writings, where, where these great kind of Jewish heroes of the time used this language when they overthrow their captors and become independent again. This language symbolized to the Jews a sort of second Exodus going on. So Jesus turns when the disciples ask about the Greeks. And and there's all this expectation that now, maybe now somehow, Jesus' hour is here and he's going to be enthroned as king and the people will will celebrate and and dance in the streets and and the Romans are going to be driven out. But but his hour does not come when Jesus is being crowned as a king on a throne. But instead he declares the hour has come when Jesus is instead on his Passover road that leads to crucifixion. Look at verse 24, right after he says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. See, whenever Jesus says in John, truly, truly, it means get ready for something staggeringly unexpected. Again, the disciples going, uh-oh, as he says, truly, truly. There, there's a sense here that Jesus, what Jesus is getting at is that if the Greeks are going to see Jesus, if we are going to see Jesus, we're only going to be able to see him if he takes this very unexpected road to crucifixion. This is not what the disciples expect to hear after all this language about kingship and glory. See, like us, the, the Jews and Greeks wanted someone to, to ride in and, and overthrow all the oppressors. They wanted power and might and, and political wins, revolution. This was the satanic desires that drove the people in Jesus' day and still drives us today. Just, just look at the, at the political climate on both the left and the right, or just look at the much closer at home, the, the anger and frustration in our own hearts. But this is not the path that takes Jesus to victory, is it? His path, he says here, is like a grain of wheat falling into the earth and dies. What? This doesn't sound like a king. This doesn't sound like the the God of Israel they're celebrating, who's supposed to rise up strong and mighty and, and defend us at all costs. But he does. And it does cost everything. God's mission to become king again, takes uh, this surprising turn in the biblical storyline. He answers injustice and oppression and sin by having his son be glorified through entering into the sorrows of the people and then dying himself. That's the path that Jesus was on that first Palm Sunday. He, he knew something that the crowds and, and the Jews and the Greeks forgot. He knew that, that if a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it bears much fruit. He knew that the, the Greeks would only truly see him if he took this path and died so as to unleash a cosmic blast that, that ripples through the universe a blast that, that bore much more wheat straws popping through the, than the rocky sh- uh, dirt of Jerusalem. It was a blast that, that gave birth to the beginning of God pushing back the evil out there and the evil inside here. See, if Jesus had, had clung to his life and loved it more than the priorities of God, he would have been crowned king of Israel. He knew this. And Satan tempted him with it in the wilderness, if you recall. But he rejects this. He rejects that path. Knowing that only by walking the path of crucifixion will God's kingship truly manifest itself in this world. And in doing this, Jesus turns everything upside down so that you and I can truly see him. The the light of the glory of the gospel of Jesus has shone in our hearts only because he walked this path. We should marvel at that. Take glory in that pause this week and just think, wow. His, his response to the Greeks wanting to see him is very unexpected. But that's not all he does, is it? He goes one more step still. Look at verse 26. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. On, on his own path on Palm Sunday toward crucifixion, he beckons us to then come down this path and join him. For, for sure not, not in the, in the same way that Jesus does, as, as His path alone conquers our sin and the evil powers behind oppression and injustice. But the surprise of Palm Sunday and Jesus' march to Jerusalem is that Palm Sunday is our story, too. Christianity is not safe. It never was. It's risky. And Jesus says here in verse 26, where I am, there will my servant be also. You know, on the one hand, that's, that's hugely comforting, isn't it? We will be with Jesus, Jesus at our side. But on the other hand, remember where he is saying this. As he walks on the path of crucifixion. And so where he is, there will we be too. And he says, this is the only way for us to truly see him. You know, we we love all the the loud and and glorious songs of God's kingship on Palm Sunday. The music is glorious and uplifting, but seldom do I want or, or choose the path that manifests God's kingship. And we discover here on Palm Sunday that the followers of Jesus are tasked with embodying the message of the gospel, embodying the message of the gospel as a way to help recreate the world by the power of the gospel, which is what? What? The good news that that God is setting all things right through the death and resurrection of His Son. And so Jesus propels us forward in verse 26 to embody this by walking our own path of crucifixion. For some, maybe literally. And, and, And others, it's a call to die every day to our own desires our own dreams, our own aspirations, and our our own kind of perceived rights. It's a call to do hard things, but the right things, because Jesus did first. See, the, the true story of Jesus riding a donkey toward his death is an anchor for us as a people. It's why we rehearse it every year. It beckons us out to to trust God without hesitation, without knowing how it's going to turn out. The the road that God has you on right now might be your road to crucifixion. And So keep walking. Don't give up. Keep your eyes on the God-man sitting on the donkey for where he is. You will be like Jesus, followers of Jesus bear much fruit by reaching into the pain and suffering of others. This is going to look very different in different circumstances. Uh, a dramatic picture of this recently that I saw was, was seen in Burma, of all places, or, or called Myanmar often. You may be aware of how there's crowds just protesting the military takeover, all these crowds streaming out and the military kind of fighting back. There was a scene in one area of Burma in which at one point there was a crowd with with kids all in front marching along. And suddenly these soldiers kind of surrounded them and they all lifted up their machine guns and they were about ready to shoot with all these kids right in front, And you know what happened? Out from the wing, another building over to the side, a woman comes running across to the crowd, a Catholic nun. And she runs in front of the crowd and she gets down on her knees and raises her hands in front of the soldiers and begs them to shoot her instead of the children. That's... Exactly what Jesus does on the road to crucifixion. Now, most of us are probably not going to experience that. Rather, we learn to die in the smaller ways so that maybe we would get there if we need to one day. It might be dying to yourself by by letting go of a grudge against someone else. Or every day, parents are called to to join Jesus on the road of crucifixion by by laying aside their wants, their prerogatives, to enter into the needs of their children. You know, don't doubt that, that what you do as a mom and dad is cosmic in scope. If you bear the message of the gospel every day to your kids as you die, you wake up and you die again each day. Or as parents grow older, adult children have to lay aside their assumptions of what freedom looks like to take care of elderly parents. And there's so many incredible models of that here in this congregation I've seen. Or how about those struggling with sinful desires even desires that the culture sometimes says will, will lead you to freedom if you embrace. This road to crucifixion tells a different story that, that freedom comes rather by dying to those desires and following Jesus. This, I could go on with more and more examples, this is the Christian vocation, that by the power, of the Holy Spirit and dwelling in you, you too can do. I urge you today when you get home here at the beginning of this Holy Week to pause this afternoon and ask God and then talk together as a family or talk with a friend and ask what are those, those hard things that God is calling us to do on our path that he has us on? where do we need to die to ourselves you know the world is waiting still for a king people people are angry right everywhere you go just people are angry i was telling my family the other day i was at the gas station a guy was start just yelling at me because i wasn't moving fast enough i'm thinking people are just angry discouraged and and they're raging against against the powers that they they think are oppressing them How do we give them the good news here on Palm Sunday? Not not through a program. As much as I love programs, and they're good tools, don't, though, wait for the church to, to set up a program to do these things for you. No, John 12 shows us that you, we, are the solution. You, O oh Christian, God has called to embody the message of the crucifixion path to those on the outside, so that they so that they will see Jesus. Maybe, though, maybe you're wary. Maybe you're wary of following Jesus on this road. It's been a long year for many of us. Some of you have been enduring the same sin struggles for decades. Others have have had to endure week after week, year after year, relational problems or or being treated like a servant by ungrateful others. Still others have had to live with terrible illnesses or pain and, and wondered where does their road end. You hear these words in John 12, And you, you hear these things that we have to die again and again and again. And you think to yourself, when will it end? What does, what does Jesus have to say to you in this hour of glorification? Listen to verse 26 again. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. And then hear this if anyone serves me the father will honor him listen really carefully to those words these are these are staggering words out of the mouth of Jesus the father will honor you your Your labor in Christ is not in vain. The suffering that you have walked through is not in vain. The burdens you have carried on behalf of your children or your spouse or your parents or your coworkers or or maybe total strangers, this is not in vain. The Father will honor you when you walk this road of crucifixion running after Jesus, who is ahead of you. He doesn't promise how things will turn out in the short term. That's, that's part of the mystery of God. But Palm Sunday, in the triumphal entry of Jesus as king, lays a, a down payment as a guarantee that God will make all things right one day. All will not be lost for those who have given up everything in following Jesus. And the Father, the Father will honor you. Let's pray. Father, here on this Palm Sunday, as we sing these glorious, true songs May they draw us forth to sing them together following you on this path that you walked 2,000 years ago. Lead us on, O King. Lead us to victory. That one day you will make all things right as we follow you faithfully on this path of crucifixion.